It's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, thanks for joining us here at Fellowship. As you uh, drove in, you may have seen a bunch of uh, excavating equipment on that far parking lot, and our expansion has begun. We are going to be building a new uh, parking lot across the street, which should have about uh, and about 250 spaces when we're done, and it'll all be blacktop for you, so no more gravel. And then uh, hopefully, yes, you can clap for that. Um, <laughs> And then hopefully right in, uh, right over here in the woods, uh, we're going to be uh, constructing a larger worship facility, and that should begin sometime in the spring of 2014. So due to your generosity, I mean, we're, we're moving forward on this, and I wanted just to let you know uh, that uh, you'll be seeing a few things change around our uh, facilities here. But it's all to make room for more people and to share the gospel with more people and to make more disciples here in Topeka. But you know, the deep and wide expansion has never just been about Topeka. It's been about places around the world. And I was uh, talking with our partners in Ethiopia this week. And uh, we're ready to uh, finish up the plans and start building another church in Ethiopia that will house around a thousand people. And uh, that should be completed within the next six to eight months because they don't need as elaborate a building as we have. And then uh, we talk to our India partners and we should be able to build and plant 12 new churches in India. And then we talk to our partners in the Philippines and we should be able to build two more churches in the Philippines. So total, it's 15 churches that we're able to build or plant as a result of what God is doing through you here in Topeka. And that's the whole picture of the deep and wide expansion. 10% out of every dollar given is for churches outside of Topeka and to to build them and to advance the gospel. And I just counted the capacity of these churches. We'll be able to reach just as many people outside of Topeka as we are inside with with our building. And so God is doubling what we're able to do, which is really cool. That's a, that's a great blessing. We're beginning a four-week series uh, called Gift Exchange. And it's really about what do we bring to Jesus and what do we receive in return. And uh, over these next four weeks, you're going to be reading in your journal. You'll have some journal readings from Advent for Advent. This week we were in Genesis, we were in Exodus, we were in... Um, Hebrews this morning, and and we're learning about uh, the whole situation of uh, this past past week about the need for a savior. And you know that's really um, if if you have your Bibles, turn turn in them with with me to Luke chapter one. We're going to read that. But as we're turning there, when Joseph uh, was told by the angel um, Gabriel in a dream about Mary and uh, that she was um, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then he gave Joseph the instructions. He said this, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So think about that. A name is important. In the scriptures, a name is important. It has a meaning. And uh, Jesus, or um, in Aramaic or even Hebrew, it was Yeshua, which in English, that's Joshua. It literally means God is a God of salvation. 
And so his very name being Jesus was that of salvation. That was his purpose. His name was his purpose that Jesus had come to save his people, to save us from our sins. And so, therefore, as we begin this series, it's fitting to understand that the first gift exchange that we have is when we bring Jesus our sin, he gives us salvation. We bring sin, we receive salvation. This is not fair, okay? That's why the gospel is based on grace. Grace is not fair. Grace does not give you what, you know, you deserve. You deserve the wrath of God because God is holy and he's righteous and he will, uh, he's the protector of truth and justice. And when we break his law, when we sin, we deserve his wrath. But Jesus came to set us free of our sin and give us salvation. And this first gift exchange is really about God's salvation. And, uh, this, this requires us Salvation requires us all to understand our sin. And so as we do that, let's just take a look in Luke chapter 1. Because Zechariah was a priest who worked in in the temple. And Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth uh, do not have a child. And as the scriptures say, and it gave a nice phrase, they were advanced in years. We call it old. <laughs> and they didn't have children. And um, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, your wife is going to conceive with you and you will have a son. And I want you to name him John. By the way, John literally means the grace of God. And in their advanced in age years, God was going to give them grace with a child. And this child will, he will announce the way of the Lord. He will be the the prophet who makes the way for the Messiah. He will announce to all the world. And he, he will call them away from their sins. And and Zechariah was so hung up on his old age that he basically said, no way, are you kidding me? And the angel said, well, because you doubted God here, I'm going to just, you're not going to be able to speak until, until this child is born and everything is fulfilled. So literally he couldn't speak. And John was born. And uh, eight days after his birth, it was custom to have him circumcised in which he would receive his name. And uh, everyone said, hey, you're Zachariah. How about Zachariah Jr.? And this is my paraphrase, if you can read it in Luke 1. How about Zachariah Jr.? And and he wrote on a tablet. Zachariah said, no, his name shall be called John. And he gave it to him. And as soon as he gave that to him, his mouth was open and he prophesied. And in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 68, it says this. And as his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, Blessed, now listen to this, you haven't spoken in months and this is your first words, okay? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days (gasps) that was his first sentence Yeah, it's kind of like the overflow. The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
your first words after silence for months. And he prophesies, proclaiming, God has visited and has redeemed his people and salvation is ours now. And then he says this. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This shows us a few things about sin and salvation. And it shows us that uh, God sees it as it really is. And we need to see the same reality of God. And that's why we need to be sharpened and founded and formed by the scriptures. The scriptures inform us because our culture does not. Our culture deceives us from reality. And the first thing we need to realize is that we have an issue with sin. What does sin do to us? Sin literally exiles us from God. We read this week in our journal readings about uh, how God created everything and and how he created a perfect existence without sin. And he put a man and a woman who he created in his own image into this garden. And we, we see it as a limitation that he said, don't eat out of this one tree. But the scriptures really say you can eat out of all these other trees, like millions of other trees. But just this one. And why did God do that? Because he wanted worship. He wanted obedience. He wanted relationship to be a willful decision from each of us. And it's in that image that he created man and woman. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply. There was nothing in the way of being fruitful or multiplying everything that their hands touched. And yet... They chose a life alienated from God, a life in exile. They chose a life on their own. That's what sin does. And that's perhaps the most tragic and terrible reality is that sin cuts us off from God. As they ate of that fruit that they were called not to, everything changed. Instead of receiving each other as God has crafted and created them, they started hiding their bodies from each other because shame and guilt came into this world. But they were alienated from God. Sin does that. They were made in his image, but they were fallen. And we've continued to fall further and further and further and further away from God. Sin alienates us from God. We don't think like God. We don't act in a godly fashion. It leaves us alienated. And until our sins are forgiven, we're exiles. As scripture says, we're lost. We're dead to God in our trespasses and sin. Sin leaves us exiled, leaves us alienated, but it also leaves us dominated by sin. It leaves us dominated. And this is a deep-seated inward corruption. And the issue is not just represented in a corrupt political system or a corrupt government or a corrupt society. This is resulted in a deep-seated corrupt issue of the very hearts of us. And our world loves to blame sin on or problems on the environment. But really, wherever people are, it's the problem. And as long as and long as we have this brokenness, we will be dominated by sin. Scripture calls us slaves to sin. 
And it's not this issue that we don't want to live a good, good life, but we're just, as John Stott says, we're chained in the prison of our self-centeredness. It's just about us. We're addicted to ourselves. And it dominates us. It's like an addiction that moves us away even from humanness crafted in the image of God and we become very defensive and and we become trapped and blinded. And we're well advanced in many areas in our culture. We're well advanced in science and technology and medicine, even in nuclear power. But yet what remains elusive is the power of sin in our lives. And we think we can just make decisions to step outside of sin and be good people. We think that we can just step into church and everything will be bad about us will be washed away and we can leave here and everything's going to be just fine without sin. No problem anymore. And the reality is, is it's dominating. And it's defeating. And it's like a good friend of mine, Ron McKinsey said, it's a, it's a Russian proverb. He says, Every one of us chooses to dance with the bear, but the bear always chooses to stop dancing. See, we can do this. We can step into sin and we can think that we can handle it, that we can just step away at any time. We can just look at a little bit more porn. We can take one more drink. We can make one more lie. We can talk about someone, one more person to get a laugh. And we start feeding the bear and the bear becomes our friend. And we want to step away, but we can't because our new identity is formed with the bear. And we've got to step away, and it just seems overwhelming. We're dominated by sin. And then finally, we're conflicted. We're conflicted with others. We're in conflict. Sin's effect on relationships. It it's kind of sin kind of explodes ego and image or self-pity or self-esteem or self-love and it makes us blind to the people around us. That's why we wake up in the morning and the first first feeling that goes through our mind is how do I feel today? We don't wake up going, Oh, I hope that person's doing well today. We just go, How do I oh man, it's pain. You know, we're we're we think first and foremost about ourselves and we protect ourselves over everyone else. And that's why many of our relationships are built out of what can I get from you rather than what I can give to you. Sin does that. That's why some of our marriages are so discontent because we're always wanting something from the other spouse and we're not willing to give to them. No strings attached, much and to, to love them like Christ loved the church. And here's the phrase, gave himself up for her. Folks, sin keeps us focused on ourselves. And all of these things in exile, in exile, we just look and we long for a better life. We long for a life that's, that's reunited with God, that's no longer dominated by sin, that's no longer in conflict with others. And all these things show us some, a key value in our lives is that we need We need a savior. And that's the value of sin. It shows us, it shows us the need for a savior. Jesus is that savior. Turn with me to Romans chapter three, as we look at how Jesus is presented in the scriptures. Romans three, verse 21 is perhaps one of my favorite passages in the book of Romans. Matter of fact, uh, Martin Luther, as he uh, was following a religious system that was based on his works and his performance and his obedience to all the different laws of religion that he was following in his day, after he read this, 
had a total heart change and, and instead of trying to perform for God's acceptance, fell on grace and trusted in the work of his Savior. This is what that passage says. It says this in Romans 3.21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Folks, this passage shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of, Of the Savior. Jesus was the one who came down and saw us in our pitiful, broken, fallen state. And he came in the flesh and he fulfilled the righteous requirement of God for all of us. He was, as John the Baptist would later say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Savior. He was God in the flesh. As this passage says, he was the one who was the just, who is just without sin and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We need his birth. We need Jesus to take on flesh. We need his life. We need Jesus to live a life we can't live for ourselves. We can't be perfect. Some of us like to compare ourselves with people around us. And we come with the summary that I'm not as bad as that person. God never compares you with anyone except Jesus. And therefore, you're a whole lot worse off than you imagine. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, we are a whole lot worse off than we think. But you know what? This explains it. And boy, I want an answer that hits to the gut of my life. It explains my selfishness. It explains my insecurities. It explains my fears. It explains my hurts and my brokenness. It's sin. And it's left me exiled. We all need a savior. Jesus is that savior. That's the picture. That's the picture of biblical Christianity. He's the fulfillment. We also need not only his life, we need his death. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to die. And he was born to save his people from his sins. The only way he could do that is to be the justifier who would be literally the sacrifice for my sin. That's why the cross is so central to everything we preach. Because we all need the cross. Folks, you're not here because of your wealth. You're not here because of your social status. You're not here because of your good works. You're not being here because of your family background. We're here worshiping today. And the only thing that qualifies us is the work of Jesus for us. None of us deserve us, deserve it, but all of us can receive it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Savior. But not only that, he's the full payment for our salvation. When he was on the cross and he gave up his breath, one of his last words were, it is finished. 
and finished. And what that was actually a commerce term to basically say paid in full. All my sin and all your sin was placed on Jesus. As we've been reading the Old Testament, it was common for the priest. And the practice was when you sacrificed because of your sin, you sacrificed a lamb and the literal life of that lamb paid for the price of your sin and covered over your sins. You literally would put your hand on the head of the lamb as the priest would slit its throat. And as its life, it was gory and it was bloody. But as the life drained out, your sins were covered. At the death of Jesus on the cross, when his life gave out on the cross, God was satisfied. And our sins were full and finally paid for on the cross. You know, we don't need anything else. His work was full and final. There's no other act you need to do. There's no other sacrifice you need to give. There's no other words you need to say or thought you need to think. None of this is necessary because when you have Jesus, you have everything that's required of you. That's why this gift exchange is so important. You have to recognize your need for a Savior. And you have to recognize the Savior has already been here. And he's paid it. And he's provided a way back to God. As sin has left us exiled, salvation then makes us reconciled to God. We're reconciled. See, the scriptures do not present Jesus as an option. They don't go, Jesus in this world is just one of the options to the many roads to a relationship with God. No, you don't know the scriptures if you think the scriptures say that. The scriptures say that Jesus is not just an option. He is the solution. He's the solution to our sin. And he's the only solution that God has provided. And he's the only way. And you can be offended by that, but let me just say, that's sin in us. To choose our own little personal savior, to construct our own little God, and to pursue that way that makes us most happy. But folks, that's not working for us. It's not working for us to construct our own system. We end up just looking in the mirror and worshiping ourselves. And it hurts in our relationships, it hurts on the, in our hearts, and definitely keeps us blinded to a relationship with God. Salvation, folks, through Jesus, makes us reconciled to God. And that's where we go from being alienated by God to being accepted as sons and daughters in his families. We were once enemies and strangers, aliens, to children of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're liberated from sin. We were once in bondage to sin, but Jesus Christ liberates us sin, from sin. Someday we will fully and finally be lifted from the burden of sin in our lives. Right now, the Christian life is stepping further and further away from sin and closer and closer to Christ. That's the pattern. We're liberated from sin. And then, instead of being conflicted with others, we now have peace with others. Through this discord is now replaced with Jesus with by fellowship and love in a community with God and a community with others called the church. We're called into this because salvation reconciles us back to God. But this requires, and it's only when we accept the realities of the darkness of sin that we can see the brightness of our salvation. That's why if you've ever gone diamond shopping, 
the jeweler always takes out black velvet and he puts the diamond or she puts the diamond right on the black velvet. Why? Because of the contrast. You see the beauty and the darkness. You see how a diamond shines. Folks, in order to appreciate the gospel, you got to admit the bad truth about yourself. Before you can trust the good news, you got to realize you got bad news. And it's not good. Our world downplays the bad news. You're not that bad. And we pacify ourselves with Michael Bolton songs and Michael Jackson songs. We just got to need to be better. But the reality is we're broken. And we can't save ourselves. We need the word of God to inform our lyrics about how we process reality. And the word of God says, you're a whole lot worse off than you think. But you are loved far more than you could ever imagine by this God who saw the reality of who you are and loved you anyway and sent his one and only son to this world to a little stable out in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem in this world to be born, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross so you could be accepted by God, liberated from your sin and at peace with God and with others. Folks, We don't need just one more friend. We need a savior. And Jesus is the only one who can save us. That's why salvation is received as a gift. Romans 3, verse 24, says that we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, to receive this gift, we've got to do three things. We've just got to admit it. We need to call it what it is. We need to turn from our sin. We need to call it. We don't like to call it. We like to, oh, that's my family background. Oh, I'm just a person who struggles with anger. It's sin. It's sin. It's an offense to God. It's an offense to your heart created in the image of God. And it's offensive to everyone around you. Turn from it. It all requires us to do this. God knows it more than you do. But God has opened your eyes to through the truth of the scripture right now to see the reality of your sin. Folks, it explains so much about you and me and this world around us. Admit it, call it what it is, and turn from it. Folks, you realize what a relationship with people is like. What about a relationship with God? When you commit... To someone, you don't say, hey, I'd like to marry you, but I'd like five women on the side. I hope that's okay with you. That's not acceptable to the worst atheist in this world. It's not acceptable with you and God. You have to turn from your other options to the only solution for your sin. Secondly, you need to trust in the only one who can save you. And Jesus was that. Jesus was the one who would save his people from their sins. This is to anyone. No matter the depth or the amount of sin in your past or present, you can turn right now. And you can trust in the one who can save you. See, that's what the scripture says. It says, whosoever wants this gift can have it. Whosoever. But it's only through Jesus, the solution for our sin. And then we need to live by the power of the Spirit. 
And you know what? I don't know what that means for tomorrow, but today it means that I'm going to turn from sin and I'm going to follow Jesus in my life. I don't know what that looks like. And you know what? I'm going to fall. But when I fall, I'm going to come back and I'm going to trust in the work of Jesus in my life. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to call it. I'm going to walk. Keep walking. That's all it means. Now, everyone just look here for a second. Many of you come from backgrounds that, are, um, that, that have a lot of religion in them. And you went to church. Some of you went just on Christmas and Easter. But now you're part of a family that's an every week kind of thing. Some of you thought you could come in here and you could work your way to God. And that this just gives you nice little good feelings. Good feelings that church provides you. You like how this place makes you feel. But folks, if you do not have Jesus, you do not have salvation. And this church is based on the simple truth of Jesus. And it all requires us to look at the reality of our sin, to turn from it, to trust in the only one who can save us. We are far from perfect, but we are following someone who is. And that's all that's required. So as we close our service here, I think it's important to look at the greatest gift ever given and to consider in your own life the greatest gift you could ever receive. That's why... I'd like everyone just to bow your heads at this time. Do you see your sin? Do you recognize it? Confess it to the Lord. Do you see the Savior in the scriptures this morning? That he's the only one who's the solution for the problem of your sin. Will you trust him right now? You could be in church I'm finding people have been here two and three years and they've not come down to this point where they realize their sin and they trusted in the only one to save them. Right now, do it right now. It's the greatest way to bring in this season is to trust in the work of Jesus, the only one who can save you. By faith, just say, God, you know my sin. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for it. To live a life I could not live and to die or to pay a price I could not pay. I trust in his work, not mine. I'm going to stop trying to please you and start trusting in you. Help me follow you to live by your power, not mine, your way, not my own. And if that has been the condition of your heart today, if you just confess that, welcome to the family. You're my brother or you're my sister. You're part of being a child of God. You're no longer alienated, you're accepted. You're no no longer dominated by sin, you're liberated. You're no longer conflicted, you can live in the peace of Christ. Can I pray for you right now? Heavenly Father, thank you for this church family that's based on your grace. Thank you that we, just with some, some teaching from your word, can understand what's wrong with us, what's broken in us and broken around us so that we can run to our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who saved his people from their sin. Father, help the end story to be about you and your saving work in our lives and through our lives to others. We trust you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.